It's so good to see you. I just want to, I want to honor your time. So let's go ahead and get, uh, get rolling. Let's begin with prayer and, uh, and then jump right into our subject today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. You are such a good God. And we're, we love you, but we, we are a little fickle and sometimes we're a little confused even as to what that needs to look like or what that could look like. And so God, as we come here today, I pray that everyone who has taken time out of this wonderful, relaxing atmosphere to come in and consider this, that God, you would honor that. Each one of us leaning forward into you, towards you, that you would honor that and you would help each of us take another step closer in our uh, relationship with you so that we would be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Just exactly what you were looking for. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does everybody have handouts? Hopefully you do because I don't want anybody to go away thinking that uh, I, I wanted you to write um, anything more than you wanted to write. And um, we were going to talk about spiritual growth transitions. Every year I come up to Mount Hermon, I do something different. I usually do something around marriage. I usually do something around life transitions. And I thought this, as I was thinking about that earlier this spring, I thought, you know, there's a transition that we need to talk about every once in a while in our Christian life. And uh, some, some really, really important things, I think. And as you can see, my subtitle here is How to Go from Being a Christian to Being a Disciple. And as I mentioned in the teaser earlier, there's a lot of people that just think, oh, I accepted Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, and I think I'll just sip sodas and wait for the rapture. And um, how many know that there's more to the Christian life than that? Good. Are we, am I in the right place? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you probably do or you wouldn't be here. Now, I'm going to put Christian in quotes just for the sake of, of setting you up. Can I set you up for like oh, three or four slides? Is that okay? Okay, so everybody knows what I mean by setting you up. I'm not going to hurt you. But I, I, do want to, I do want to set this up so you can see what... what why this is so important. The first thing is we all have different ideas about what it means to be a Christian. Isn't that right? You know, sometimes people, when they think, you know, I'm a Christian, they think that's, that's because I do the stuff. I go to church. You know, half, Ameri half of America thinks that. And so, and I call that the religious activity. Years ago, someone said uh, re religion is spelled D-O. We all heard that? D-O. It's about all the stuff you got to do or not do. Everybody remember those lists? You've been to churches or heard about people talking about, you know, I don't dance, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. You know, all that stuff. You know, all the stuff you got to do. The whistles, the bells, the, you know, the robes, the beads, the candles, just all the religious activity. The second thing that people think about sometimes when they think about being a Christian is they are just thinking about... Um, as a, uh, it's, it's a good thing to be in America, you know, um, God and country, and, uh, and I'm, I'm running for political office. Now, that's, uh, you know, that used to be a plus. I'm a, I'm a Christian. That used to be a plus running for political office. How many know that that's changing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and other people, when they think about Christianity, they think about the intellectual part of Christianity, um, I study the Bible. 
I know my Bible. How many know there's not going to be a pop quiz when you get to heaven? <laughs> yeah, some people do. Some people try to spend time with God each day like they're studying for a final exam. How many know that when God, do you remember Matthew, Sermon on the Mount? He says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be some people that think they're in and because they've done the stuff and they know the Bible verses or whatever. How many know that heaven is not going to be seminary? It's certainly not going to be that harp cloud stuff either. Yeah, so it's, it's not just giving intellectual assent. James tells us, he says, even the devil, the demons, believe and tremble. So they're giving intellectual assent, but of course they have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yes? A good way for me to remember is it's important to know your Bible, but it's more important to know your Bible. Yes, yes. We push and push and push on the pages of Scripture, but if you don't get past the ink and the, and the paper, you haven't gone far enough. You push through to the person behind those words. Uh, emotional. How many know that some people, when they think of Christianity, they think of a good church service? How many know that there's some churches that their whole idea is what we are here to do is to take the love of God and make you feel better when you go out than when you came in? Ever been in one of those churches? Oh my goodness, it gets fun. It's hopping, it's jumping, and people are, and emotional commitments, and they can talk and persuade, and you feel close to God, and oh, when the band hits that one chord, you feel like you just went to heaven. And, and, and there are some people that feel like that's, that's real Christianity. And then, of course, prosperity. Uh, we've all heard of prosperity. That is basically the idea, and you've heard it, and you've watched TV or whatever, you've seen this, Prosperity gospel is alive and well in America, and it's basically this, and it comes in a lot of different forms, but it basically comes down to this. God, I am going to do my part so that you bless me in return. That's why we have this relationship. You are here for me. Now, sometimes we don't say it that blatantly, but that's the, that's the idea of prosperity um, gospel. Have you ever heard the concept of tithing rights? Yeah, it goes right along with this. The idea is I can come to God and I can say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I declare this to happen. Why? Because I'm a faithful tither. No? <laughs> so there's all kinds of concepts floating out there in terms of what it means to be a Christian. And, um, but when Jesus talks about it, he gives us a parable. And you've all heard about the parable of the soils, the seeds. And it, it, it's very interesting because when Jesus, talked about, um, when Jesus talked about our receptivity and our relationship with him, he gave this parable and if you, I don't know if anybody of you looked at this parable lately, but it's a parable that describes different kinds of soils and the different kinds of soils represent what the word of God does as we connect with it. 
God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's and, and my receptivity to those ideas and to the person, the author of those ideas, can be broken down into some pretty handy categories here. Notice the first, uh, the first thing, and again, I'm still setting you up, uh, the first kind of soil that Jesus talked about was hard ground. That sometimes when God wants to come and interface with you and have a relationship with you and tell you or command you or call you, sometimes it's hard hearts. It's hard ground. Anybody ever been hard? You don't have to show me your hands. Um, you just are not, you're not into it. Thank you very much. You're, it's your season in life. It's what's going on. You're, there's all kinds of whatever. And you are just, you, or somebody, you've come through a hard situation. You're surviving abuse. You're, you're just, something's going down. And you are just hard. You are as hard as nails. And it was very interesting. Jesus went on to say, in that scenario, the seed hardly even hits the ground before the enemy comes in and steals it. You know, like the birds come in and take the seed before it ever has a chance to germinate. It's just stolen. It's like it was stolen. Imagine all the messages and all the things that preachers are spending hours and hours preparing. They come in and they sit down with a congregation like this and the enemy of our souls is looking for where the hard pack is, where the hard pan is, where the path is, where the thing's been trampled, where there's no way it's even going to germinate. And he comes in and he takes, he takes the word of God, steals it. Never even has a chance. The second is rocky ground. Remember Jesus talked about rocky ground. And the, what's the problem with rocky ground? Don't overthink it. It's rocky. Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with rocky ground. Yeah. So, you know, in some countries and some agrarian societies, they go around, collect all the rocks and put them in the walls and get them out. You have to, you can't just... You can't just sow. You can't have a harvest on just rocks. It's too shallow. There's not enough nutrients, all that good stuff that you learn in school, right? So what happens when God intersects with that kind of a person or that kind of a, the heart of that kind of a person? What's happened is it's immediately met with, yeah, let's do this. But in three days, three weeks, three months, it's gone. As soon as, the, as soon as the, you get the littlest problem, we call it flash in the pan, Christians, right? If you hang out in churches. And all of us pastors have seen people who were excited to come to church, or they were excited to engage with God, or and it didn't it hardly, you know, before the paint was dry, they were gone. Anybody relate to that? You've seen this. Okay? It's shallow. There's nothing to hold the nutrients and to give it water and to give it uh, possibility of growth. The third one is thorny ground. I want to say, you know, they say 85% of uh, statistics are made up in the, on the fly. Yeah, so I'm going to make one up. Okay, so that <laughs> I'm going to say that I want to say it's somewhere between 80 and 90% of our churches are filled with people that have hearts in the third category, especially in my valley. 
Silicon Valley. It's thorny ground. What's thorny ground? Thorny ground is the soil where the weeds choke the harvest, choke the wheat. All kinds of distractions, all kinds of temptations, all kinds of busyness. I was meeting with a guy the other day, and he was just, you know, he's complaining like a lot of guys do about being busy. But he had just talked about wanting to serve the Lord full time, and within three weeks, he was just saying, I don't think, yeah, I've got to rethink that whole thing. You know, I'm really, you know, my job has just asked me to step it up. And, you know, one thing he gave me a list of, of things that he had to negotiate and be involved in and commit to. And he was just going, I, I, just kidding. I don't think we're going to be able to do that. And we had a conversation about the fact that if, if the enemy can't tempt you into sin and derail you, he didn't care how you fall off the horse as long as you fall off, right? If he can't tempt you to sin, if he can't, if he can't neutralize you in some other way, you know what he likes to do? I think one of his best strategies, at least recently and at least in our generation, is just to bury you. Why not just back? Imagine a campfire. You've heard this analogy before. You know, the campfire, the Boy Scout thing, where you just pile up the little twigs and you, get, and you let it grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know how you take one of those little campfires? You know how you can put a campfire out? There's a hundred ways. One of the ways is to take a big dump truck full of wood, back it up and hit dump. And boom, and the whole thing is just like you got a mountain of wood there. And that's fuel for the fire. But it just killed the fire. Buried. Can I suggest that that's happening in our hearts, in our lives, in us, and the people around us? How, what soil do you identify with as we go through this? And of course, the fourth soil that Jesus was talking about was fertile ground. That's where the word is producing. That is where the word is actually taking root. And we're actually growing. And we actually are creating a value, not just for ourselves, but for him. Producing fruit. That's where you get the 30, 60, uh, 100-fold production is in the fertile, in the fertile ground. I just, uh, last year, I was in transition. I was not in a church. I was not serving. I had come to the end of assignment, uh, my assignment in one particular um, ministry, and I was not yet in my current ministry, and I got a six-month sabbatical. How many know that I reframed unemployment? <laughs> yeah, I called it my sabbatical. It's a sabbatical I never got. And, and it's really cool, and how God did that, it's a whole story. But while I was doing that, I used to, um, I grew up doing a lot of dirt hauling and dirt moving uh, because of the family I grew up in. We dug ponds by hand when I was a kid and just all that stuff. So this guy had uh, some dirt he wanted to move. He wanted to take all his dirt in all his planting areas around his house out because it was terrible, terrible soil. I'm not kidding. He hired me to come over. I filled up six, 
I filled up six 10-yard dumpsters with dirt, with a shovel and wheelbarrow. All the way down, three, four feet sometimes, all the way in all his areas where he wanted to plant around his house. And then we put four 10-yard uh, loads of great um, planting mix into those places that I had dug out. Why? Not all of us get to do that. But he wanted good soil. It's going to make all the difference. Now, here's what happens. The lack of, the lack of spiritual growth has consequences. Notice that in that first scenario, there's no interest. You ever met somebody who doesn't have any interest in the things of God? Yeah, that's that hard soil. The consequence is talking to them is like talking to the wall. And maybe talking to you is like talking to the wall. Where do you fit in this? Let's be thinking about, yeah, not only what have I seen, but where am I? The second one is fleeting interest. Do you find that yourself just saying, like having a casual interest about God or about spending time with God? My suggestion is that's, that's a consequence of, of, that, of, that, of that soil that is shallow, that's rocky. You're having a rocky, quote unquote, relationship with God, pun intended. Um, the third one is the consequence is that, is that it just starts petering out. It just, we just start to wane. If you are a second generation Christian, particularly, that's my concern. You're like me. You, weren't, you didn't come from a, a life of drugs, sex, rock and roll. Maybe if you did, great, fantastic. But if, you, but if you're the child of someone who's come to Christ, or there's a second or third generation, I'm finding that this is something that we are, I'm working, I have to work with my kids. Just the other day, I had a big, a big conversation with my 18-year-old uh, about something that was going on that he observed, and the way he was responding to that reminded me of number three. And it just we're, we don't we don't end up staying cutting edge. We just take things for granted, and pretty soon we're in the back seat. Does that make sense? And God is saying, "No, I need you to stay engaged. I want to stay engaged. God is calling us to stay engaged." Now I'm still setting you up. In addition to all that, there's a false dichotomy out there. How many people know this? There's false choices related to being a Christian and being a disciple. A lot of people feel that being a Christian, they define it roughly like what you see on the screen. It's just one who's received Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And notice what the people on the right are doing. They're sipping sodas waiting for the rapture. <laughs> like that's, my, that's what I want to be. That's the Christian life. <laughs> and then, if that wasn't bad enough, look how we define the other thing. Discipleship is one who's, a disciple is one who studies, follows, uh, imit imitates, and submits to Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And if you do that, you're going to look like the guy on the right. That's a disciple. And whenever we dress up like disciples, we dress up like him. The wild guy in the desert, John the Baptist. I'm, am I talking to anybody? 
Is that right? Those are choices that God has given us. God did not call us to be Christians or disciples. God is calling all Christians disciples. The question isn't whether you're going to be a disciple. The question is whether you're going to be one that follows God fully in a committed way or one who's sitting in a back seat. Because we are all called to discipleship. There is not two categories in Christianity. Like Jesus, you know, meets you at the pearly gates. Okay, Christians over here, disciples over here. No, nothing like that. We are called to be disciples. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18? Go make Oh, got it. I want us to connect with that in a whole new way today. That's why this is important, what we're talking about. The first thing we need to do is come to a place, if you saw yourself in any one of those, and I'm not here to condemn anyone, that is not my job. When I, I got couples coming into my office all the time, my job is not to preach at them, fling Bible verses at them, condemn them, say, you idiot, what did you do that for? That would be my last day. My job is to say, so have you thought about what God says about this? When's the last time we thought? Would you be willing to consider what God says about what it means to follow him? And just say, you know, if I'm not there, I just need to stop before I go anywhere, do anything else and say, got it cop to it. You're right. And I got to believe in a room this size with this many people, somebody, that's, that's, what, God, that's what God brought you here for. <laughs> Everybody's going to get something different. And some, somebody just goes, wow, it's like I've been asleep. Or this week has just woken me up with, with all the teachings and, all, and the interaction and the fellowship. It's time to wake up. It's time to smell the coffee. It's time to recommit myself to God. And everybody knows John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, God calls it sin. Why is it sin? Because is that a chain massacre, diabolical Halloween word? No. Remember the word sin means simply missing the mark. God's way, God's plan, God's purpose. And somehow I ended up over here in the weeds. I'm, I'm, I'm off the path. I'm not where God wants me to be. I just cop to that. And I come and I say, God, I am so sorry. I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that forgives any sin, all sin, every sin. I want to re-engage. I want to recommit. Repentance means turning around. And going the other way. So now I'm going to give you some things that I think, once we've gotten clean with God, some things that can actually move us forward. How about that? Are you, are you convinced that it's probably a good idea to move forward and not settle for that stuff that we've been talking about? Let's talk about this first one. The first thing is to pursue God with all your heart in every area of life. How many know that when you came to Christ, uh, you've heard the analogy before, God comes into your house. God comes into 
into your heart and life. Everybody got that? You've heard the analogy of the rooms. There's different rooms. If you and I invite each over to each other's house, I'm going to put you probably in the nice room. The living room. The place where it's cozy and comfortable. How many know when God comes into your life, it's not like that? He goes, hey, what's in the closet? Oh, God, you don't, yeah, you really don't, yeah, that's where I keep my stuff, my junk. Uh, you don't want to go. He goes, no, no, actually, that's where I want to start. He wants to come into every area of your life. I am talking to people mostly in trouble. So substance abuse or conflict, um, people hating. I had two sisters last month that did I just wanted to, you know, wear a whistle, you know, like be a ref- referee. Like these sisters, like, wanted to take each other out. It's actually kind of fun, and it? It, 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 it would have been funny if it wasn't so serious. I just had a guy in there yesterday. His wife is calling the cops on him four times in the last week. Because it's her plan, it's her way to get the kids. She's on drugs, but she's calling the cops on him. What are we going to do? God wants to come into every area of our life. Adultery. God wants to come into sexual immorality. God wants to come into hurt and pain that we've carried all the way from childhood. He wants to come into every, every area of our lives. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6 is a great, great passage, but that's the love of the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The idea here is all. You know what's really fun for pastors to say? I looked it up in the original language, and all means all. Yeah. Somebody, somebody in here has been, somebody in here has been like getting closer to God, but there's that one thing. There's that one thing, that one area. It's that thing that comes to your mind when you go to bed at night or wake up in the morning. It's that one thing, that besetting sin, that one thing, that, that one thing, that one thing. And God says, all. Oh. Being a disciple is laying it all down. Speaking of laying it all down, you got to love that picture, right? That's the picture of discipleship. The picture of discipleship isn't just looking like a crazy in the, in the wilderness. The picture of discipleship is looking like dead men walking. It's looking like I am died. I have died to myself. How many know dead men have no rights? Right? Is that true? You know what Jesus said? Look what Jesus said. To be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, that's an instrument of death, and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Now, you've heard hundreds of sermons on that, maybe. Can I just suggest that, especially for us guys, when we say, I would lay down my life for you, 
most of us think in terms of taking a bullet. How much sacrifice, how long is that sacrifice? Somebody say nanosecond. Do you know that Jesus, that, that's very admirable. I would take a bullet for my kid, I would take a bullet for my wife, for my best friend. That's very admirable. Not against that at all. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about something much more aggressive than that. Are you waiting? Are you ready for this? He is saying, I don't want you to die. I already did that. How many know we don't need to die? Everybody good? Once for all sacrifice. Nobody needs to die for Jesus. He died for us. He said, I want you, write this down, I want you to live in a dying sort of way. That's way different than taking a bullet. One is a nanosecond. The other is every day, every day, every day for the rest of your life. Uh, how many have been to weddings? I was just at a wedding last weekend. Anybody been to a wedding recently? Yeah. So I always think it's so fun because, of course, the bride and the groom, they have no clue what they're getting into. But... <laughs> They, you know, they, they just think they're young and in love and we're going to, you know, have, we're, we're getting ourselves together in every way. And I mean every way. And this is so exciting. And they can't wipe the smile off their face. And that's, that's, that's about as far as it goes on the wedding day. How many know that what they actually did, what they actually did, stood before God, family, and friends. How many know what they actually did was they laid it all down? They gave it all away. And it's okay. God says, that's the requirement. I call it pay to play. <laughs> Some of you will get my sense of humor later. Anyway. <laughs> God says, if I'm going to bless this marriage, it's going to all have to be laid down. That's what the covenant requires. We're going to lay Everything, here's what we're actually saying. Everything I am or ever hope to be, I give to you as a sacred trust. Handle with care. That's what a wedding really is. Uh, my nephew just got married last weekend up in Oregon, and they were uh, uh, in the Willamette River. And I mean in the Willamette River. Yeah. You ever seen a wedding in water? Yeah. Yeah. It was gorgeous, actually. I mean, even the, even the preachers, my brother and uh, her father were both pastors, and they were in the water too. And the wedding party was in the water, about three feet offshore. They were all, you know, everybody was dressed, but they, nobody had shoes on, and they were having a great time. They were the, actually the most um, comfortable people in, in the place. Oh, and it wasn't a place. It was on the bank, right? So there was a big uh, post and this parachute material and Pews. We sat on pews down in on the beach, rocky beach next to the water. It was fantastic. But you know what they did? They gave, they even did a foot washing ceremony. Pretty handy. And, um, and they gave their lives away. That's what they actually did. Beautiful ceremony, but it was the death to being single in order to become one. Am I making sense? 
when we join with Christ, we join not with a yay, yay, yay. We join by saying, I am willing to lay it all down. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. And then he says, oh, and he has the audacity to say, and, and I'd like you to go make more of those. Not scalps. Not people who pray a prayer. Make more people that are willing to lay it all down and live in a dying sort of way for the rest of their lives. Are we good? Are we still in? Anybody want to opt out? This Christianity stuff? It's getting, it's getting too hard, right? That's what we're called to. That's what we were always called to. God never wanted us just to pray a prayer. He wanted us to be his fully devoted followers. Where are you today? Does this picture typify you saying goodbye to your own self, to your own agenda, to your own rights, and saying yes to God? The third thing is that I think will really help us go from this idea of Christianity to discipleship and getting that right is that we would start to communicate with God in a more constant fashion. Key word being constant. There are so many of us in church that grew up for so many years thinking, I do this at Bible study, I do this at Sunday school, I do this at the hymn sing, I do this, and I go to my times and my places, and that's where I, I express my Christianity, or I do it in devotions. I'm going to su suggest that we do it constantly. Jesus was constantly connected to the Father, am I right? And the disciples were being constantly called to walk with Jesus. And I'm going to suggest that these are, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the primary ways that God wants us to stay engaged. He wants us to be engaged with him on a constant, continual basis. These things will help us build our relationships. And some of you have read lots of books on spiritual disciplines, and these are all, you know, I'm going through one right now, the discipline of silence and, and just different things. Uh, discipline of prayer. Can I, can I push a product? I don't get a penny for this, but can I push this? So what is it? It's 2019. 19, it's just an easy way to remember for me because it's 2000. So 19 years ago, I promise I was a Christian before 19 years ago. But 19 years ago, um, a pastor of a big church in Hawaii, some of you may know, Wayne Cadero, um, came up with, a, came up with a, an easy way for his congregation to, become, to, to develop their relationship with God through re Bible reading and prayer. And he called it life journaling. Anybody ever heard of this? This is not a diary. This is not like a high school girl going, oh, God, this is how I'm feeling today. Especially for us guys, that's not, not, yeah, that doesn't work. This is the opposite of a diary. It's a download. And it's a very simple 
process. If you've got a killer way to be with God in the word and in prayer, by all means, don't change a thing. But for most of us, every, co- every coaching session that I do with couples or whoever that I take through the coaching process, I introduce them to this. Not because I get any money out of it, but because it's helped me so much. It is absolutely the best thing I've ever done. And I've done a lot of things. The best thing I've ever done for my spiritual, spiritual health and well-being. It's called life journaling. And I have a few up here. They cost me about eight bucks. So if, if any of you, I just brought some because I, I found myself talking about it all the time and then having people go online or whatever. Uh, it's just really handy. It's right here. I've only got six. So the first six uh, that would like one, just leave me eight bucks and, and take one of these with you. And in there, there's a real simple explanation. It's, it, they use the acronym SOAP. Anybody heard of this? Scripture, observation, application, prayer. If you can remember that, you can do this. You can do it on scratch paper, but it is nice to have them in a book. And, and, and what you do, is it's the no guilt plan. And so there's a Bible reading plan in there like there is for a lot of these uh, uh, programs. And, but what I encourage people, don't read the, all the scriptures. You'll get spiritual indigestion. Um, <laughs> think food. Just When you go to the restaurant, you don't eat everything. You, you pick something. And they have some Bible uh, passages to pick from. Just pick from. And then what you do is you pray. Why do Christians pray? Well, they pray because they think God answers prayer. Somebody say amen. And so you start reading, and something jumps out at you. Oh, wow, that was convicting. Or that was encouraging. Or, hmm, yeah, I, I feel like God's putting his finger on that area of my life. It doesn't even matter why it jumped out at you. It jumped out at you. You're done. You don't even have to read to the end of the chapter. Why? Because God gave you something some spiritual nutrition so that you could have the spiritual energy to be the man or the woman that God designed you to be for that day. Am I making sense? And it's no guilt. It's, these are blank pages. You go to a Christian bookstore sometimes, and you've got these gilded pages with the dates on them, and they're just total guilt. Because if you miss that day, they're staring at you. <laughs> and they're saying, you missed your time with God. Go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And this is just an easy way for you to spend some time with God. If you're interested in that, uh, just come up and, and, and grab that. We've got to have easy ways. You know who wins, at the, who wins at this game? The most holy person in the room? Somebody say no. Yeah. No. The person that wins at this game is the person that can develop a habit. How do you make a bad habit? Keep doing it, and it becomes a habit. How do you make a good habit? <laughs> Same thing. I, can, I know I can make bad habits because I have. <laughs> that means I can also make a good habit. This is God is calling us to spend time with him on a regular basis. Am I making sense? Are you in this place where you're saying, you know what, if I'm really honest, I, I'm great at the Bible studies. I'm great at church. My attendance is a little whatever. Uh, but, but if I could just spend some time with God on a regular basis. I tell people, I, I don't even do it every day. I do it Monday through Fridays and take the weekends off. And everybody laughs. You know, pastor, you're a pastor and you don't do it every day. No. <laughs> it's really fun to say that. 
I do remind them that actually I work at a church and I get Bible all kinds of ways on the weekend. I, you guys listen to one service, I'm at three. Anyway, so, but I don't want, I don't want my spiritual energy to lag during the week. I want to keep my spiritual energy up. So stay in touch with God constantly. Um, I have a few stories about this next one. Following God anywhere and everywhere. If you've heard me speak up here before, and I recognize a couple of you, uh, you know that these two questions are the questions that I would encourage you. They're the best questions in life related to your relationship with God. When you don't understand something, the first and best question to always ask is, I wonder what God's up to. I promise you, there's somebody in this room today that's going to ask that question, and it's going to change the trajectory of your life. Because rather than whine or complain or become, you know, feel like somebody owes you something or whatever, you stopped and said, God, I wonder what you're up to. And the second question is just like it. What's the ROI for God, not for me? Everybody in America, even the Christians, are saying, what's in it for me? What's in it for me that you're God, that I'm in church, that I'm a believer? What, what's, so, so talk to me. What, why should I keep doing this? And God's going, whoa, um, does anybody want to know what's, how this would bring me glory? How I could accomplish my purpose on the earth? What's in it for God that you guys were spent an hour in this room? I promise you, if you're not asking that question, nobody in the world is. Am I right? Yeah. Do you think anybody outside of this room is asking that question? Not even close. What, what's in it for God that I'm going through this issue? What's in it for God that I'm married to this person? What's in it for God that I just had this baby What's in it for God that I got to go to Mount Hermon? What's in it for God that I'm being pressed or I'm being ridiculed or I'm being persecuted? What's in it for God? Uh, some of you have heard this story, a couple of you anyway, but uh, I had a daughter who was uh, selected to be one of those selected few for valedictorian. Uh, she was at a, a local junior college and she was going to apply to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and we thought it was a shoe in We thought it was done. Like if she can't get in, nobody can get in. So, so she you know, makes the application, whatever. She, it turns out she missed a particular class and her application got put in the wrong pile. She got rejected. But because she grew up in our family, she had heard this so many times. She said, Dad, crazy. But one of the first questions that came to me is, God, what are you up to? So she prays. She says, well, it looks like I'm going to get a gap year because she really wanted to pursue that particular school. So she starts working for Bank of America and became a teller and did that for a year. Reapplied next year. She goes down. She's accepted. She goes down to Cal Poly. She transfers from her bank in San Jose to the bank in San Luis Obispo. And it wasn't any time at all before they said, by the way, you know there's a, 
there's a fund that, that for bank employees to dip into while they're going to school that pays for their schooling. They paid for all her schooling. She came out debt-free. God, what are you up to? And keep your eyes on the prize. How many know it's tempted to take your eyes off the goal? It is so tempted. Resist temptation. Resist temptation. And, and uh, stay focused. I used to, how many, anybody do high school track? Any other? Yep, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yay. Yeah, so I was a hurdler in high school track. I went undefeated my senior year. I was pretty good. And I was at this one meet. And I was... Yeah, I was doing the, back in then, the day, it was the intermediate hurdles, and it's uh, about th- uh, uh, two-thirds way around the track, and jumping hurdles at the same time, and all that good stuff you don't care about. But I was ahead, and I was a left-legged lead, which means going to the corner, I had an advantage. And I was blasting my way through the corner, and I heard the voice of my coach in my head saying, Paul, you're good, but you've got to get lower. You've got to get lower. You, you run through the hurdles. You don't run over hurdles. You've got to attack those things. You've got to get lower. There shouldn't be any air daylight between you and the hurdle. You should just get lower. And I heard that, and, and I thought, wow, I'm way out ahead. Maybe I'll just work on my form. <laughs> I come through the corner. I'm going to the, the last couple of hurdles, and I got low. I clipped one. And it was not set up right. They're supposed to just go down and back up. You've seen that. It threw me. It was set up a little cattywampus or whatever, and it threw me right down into a rubber asphalt track. And I came up all black. And <laughs> I thought, it's over. That was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Then I heard some people saying, get up, get up. I looked, and lo and behold, I was in my lane. And the hurdle, the crash, but it, it was in the lane. And I shook it off, and I got up, and I started running. I jumped over the last hurdle and won the race. <laughs> you, you've, got, you've got to keep going. Even if you stumble, even if you fall, have we all messed up? Yeah, there's a, there'll be a prayer line for liars afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> of course, we've all messed up, but we go on, we're going to continue to pursue God and keep our eye on him. Uh, of course, um, uh, the, the uh, Bible verses there, you can look them up later if you want to. It's the Apostle Paul uh, talking about running away to win. Uh, press on for the prize, the high calling of God, those kinds of things. There are so many people that stop too soon. There's so many people that stop too soon. They just, they're, they're doing well. There's whole books written about finishing strong. There's so many ways. Almost every week I hear about some big American church kind of leader person that tanks or has a moral failure or whatever. It's hard to keep going. What's that a picture of? Anybody know? What mountain is that? Three guesses and the first two don't count? Everest. Everest. And you've got to keep going. These guys 
How many know going up Everest, you ever see any stories on that? How many know that's not a cakewalk? Yeah. We've got to keep going. That is the Christian life. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You've heard that. I want to, as I, as I am resisting temptation, by the way, uh, I got a little extra time. I'm about five minutes early. Can, can you all draw, if you have a little place, a blank page there nearby, uh, draw a picture of a, of a face with some big ears. Okay, ready? Here we go. I just saw this. This could, this could help somebody. Right? So, the enemy is going to try to knock you out of the game, particularly as you get close to the end. I promise. How many know I, I'm, I'm t- saying the truth? Okay? So the, what the enemy is going to do, do, it's so insidious. The enemy is going to try to tempt you over here. He's going to whisper in in your ear, and he's going to try to tempt you to do something or be something or go somewhere or whatever. He's going to try to tempt you. He's going to try to tempt you into sin. And again, sin is missing the mark. He's going to try to get you off track, get you off course. He's going to tempt you. God has not let us help, left us helpless over here because he says, I want you to take every thought captive. You can take, you can take everything that he says to you and you can run it by the word of God. And if it doesn't align with the word of God, you put it in captivity, the, that thought. Am I making sense? Otherwise, you will fall. Why? Because you'll bite down on the bait, the bait of Satan. You'll take a big bite. Think fish. Now you're hooked. He's got you. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's so insidious. He runs around the other side. Guess what he does over here? The same guy, the enemy of our souls. He over here, he condemns us. He condemns us. He says, yeah, call yourself a Christian. You and I know better. I know know where you were Saturday night. I know what you were thinking. I know what you did when nobody was watching. I got you. You are really this person, and you do this kind of stuff because you're not a Christian at all, and he condemns us, condemns us, condemns us. But God hasn't left us helpless over here either. Isn't that insidious? The same guy that tempts you to sin turns around and condemns you for sinning. But he hasn't left us helpless here either. He's given us this thing called forgiveness. There's no one in here who has ever committed anything any kind of sin, any kind of a fall, any kind of anything that is outside God's ability to forgive. I think Jesus gets a little tired of doing deep knee bends, don't you? The enemy's going before God. Yeah, remember what he did? He did that again. Oh, he did that. He did that. And every time Jesus has to get up and go, yeah, paid for that one too. And then he did this, and they did, and they... You're right. Yeah, they did. Paid for that one, too. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The enemy's condemning us. And Jesus Christ is saying, yeah. But there's not one thing anybody has ever done that's outside of God's ability to forgive. That was extra. And our last 
Everybody having fun yet? We're almost there. And our last thing that I want to leave you with is when God, when God is thinking about discipleship and he's thinking about our life with him, he is thinking about winning. He is thinking about achieving. One of the weirdest verses in the whole, or weirdest ideas of the whole Bible is this idea of Jesus coming up to people going, well done. How many know that's silly? That's the stupidest thing you've ever heard of. Unless we were given an assignment. Oh. I mean, if I come up to meet you for the very first time, well done. That's stupid. That's weird. But it's true. I hope so. How many know that well done doesn't make any sense unless he gave us some instructions? Oh, he called us to be fully devoted to him, to follow him, to please him, to serve him, his way, his plan, his word, his agenda. And when we do it his way, remember, we die to ourselves in order to please the Lord and follow him fully and completely. And when you show up at the pearly gates, the first thing out of his mouth is only makes sense is if he has given you assignment, you've completed the assignment. And then, of course, when somebody completes the assignment, you go, good job. It's the first thing out of his mouth. That just made somebody's day. If you can remember that your goal is not how, much, how many toys you got at the end of your life. Your goal is that when you see Jesus, that assignment that he's given you to go to be his disciple, and all that that means is fulfilled when you finally see him and the first thing you hear is, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It means that we're not just praying prayers and waiting for something to happen but we're following God in such a way that we hear the well done. And I believe that every single person in here has the potential to hear him say that. You say, well, you don't know my life. You don't know the screw-ups. You don't know what... No, I, yours and mine are different, but we've all done them. The point is that God wants to say that to you. Can I pray for you? Then I'll have a couple of announcements. Father, I just thank you for each one here. That's what we want to hear. Father, we want to hear, well done. 
when we see you and stand and see you face to face and meet our Lord Jesus Christ and, and be filled with your Holy Spirit and enjoy you forever. We want to hear that well done. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to follow you, and we want to do that. And I thank you for each one here. And as we prayed at the beginning, God, would you give every single person in this room a takeaway? Every single person, something different, something from your spirit. For them taking the time out of their day to do this and be here today. Bless them. And bless us as we have our last few days here at Mount Hermon. Continue to work in our hearts. Don't stop until we have everything that you want for us this week. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to have a seminar in here. Talk to your friends and, and bring your friends. I'm going to talk about the, the um, things that get in the way of us having what I would call spiritual intimacy. Everybody wants to talk about intimacy. It's a great subject. I teach on it, intimacy all the time. But I want to talk about spiritual intimacy, particularly with couples and when you're in a relationship and why it's hard, particularly in marriage. That doesn't mean you have to have your spouse here. You're welcome to bring your spouse. But even if you guys are splitting duty and going to different places and different seminars, if one of you could be here and... Um, and we, I, I'll give you some tips that you can take home that can, I believe, will really help that. Also, I have uh, just a couple more spots. I think I got two today and a, couple, a few tomorrow of spots for uh, speed coaching. Again, I'm, I also happen to be a life coach as well as a pastor. So if anybody, if I've raised any issues today or anything's come to your mind that you say, you know, I'd love to just talk about my personal thing that I'm going through and some area where I need God's wisdom or where I'm feeling stuck or I want to move forward. If you'd like to do that, please see me right after uh, we dismiss and I'll sign you up and we'll meet out uh, under the trees and do half an hour of speed coaching. Okay? God bless you. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. <laughs>